what a blessing to be with you. And I have an adjective I would immediately put on this church by the evidence we've had for 30 minutes here, a friendly church. And I know how special you are because you helped produce Jennifer Davis Rice. <laughs> Do any of you women, or maybe you men too, like old things? Do you like antiques? Anybody like to antique shop? Or maybe you've got some antiques in your house? Are we not on? There we go. Now, are we on? Can you hear me better? Okay. Anybody like antiques? Okay, good. I must like antiques. My husband turned 90 last week. So I just have to love him more and more. He gets older and older. Now, as far as antiques go, the Chinese have it all over Americans. This jacket I have on, I bought in Hong Kong in 1963, and it was an antique then. The, the man in the shop said, this is well over 100 years old. So I did a little math, and I figured this jacket is at least as old as Lottie Moon. And it was made in China and brought to Hong Kong. We Baptists have a legacy. My goodness, do we have a le an antique legacy of missions. We are so blessed. And maybe in your home, if you had a WMU mother or father or a pastor who preached missions, you have a legacy of missions. A and my legacy of missions is it really, it really feels personal because I was born in China to missionary parents. Uh, when I was three years old, I couldn't speak English. I, I just spoke Chinese. Uh, my, I knew two words of English, yes and no. And guess which was my favorite word? You never have to teach a child to say no, do you? They learn this automatically. But I was so privileged to grow up in a home where I had parents who had given themselves to telling others that Jesus is the way of life. Uh, my earliest memories are some of my clearest memories. And some of you may be old enough to know how that is. You can think real easily about things long ago and maybe not what happened last week or even this morning what happened. I can't tell you what I ate for breakfast really this morning. But being in China and seeing the needs there was such a gift. Of all the gifts, a watershed experience for me was the Christmas I was nine years old. And we lived in the city of Zhenjiang, about 150 miles from Shanghai. And we lived in two mission houses that had been there since the 1800s. And on the side of a hill, and we had a, a, a gate, a wall around our house with a gate. So we usually knew when someone was coming to, to visit. Uh, that Christmas morning, there was a knock at our front porch, and we, we were not expecting anybody. I said, I'll go to the door. And I went, we had a large screened-in porch, and it had concrete steps leading up to the, the door. And I couldn't see anybody. And I looked down, and there was a beggar kneeling on the steps. And he had his hands stretched up to me. And I looked at his hands, I looked at his face. Part of his ears were gone. 
Part of his nose was eaten away. He did not have one complete finger. And I knew at once this was a leper. And he said, Please give me a little bread. I'm starving. I said, Don't be shy. Wait a minute. And I went back to the kitchen and got biscuit and bread we'd had that morning. When I came back to the steps, the beggar had not moved. He still had his hands stretched up to me. And he was shaking so badly in the cold that Christmas morning that two of the biscuit dropped on the steps. I will never forget. That old man took his stumps of fingers and picked up every little crumb. And he kept saying, I can't waste any. I'm starving. And I stood there weeping, a nine-year-old child, and I vowed a vow to God that morning. Father, someday, let me come back and tell people like this that you are the bread of life. I never saw that beggar again. I did not know his name, but God used him to change my life. And thank God, for over 30 years, Bob and I had the privilege of serving in eight different countries, Chinese people, telling them that Jesus was the bread of life. I had a strange idea when I retired, Bob and I retired from IMB, that I was going to relax, go to a lot of libraries that were air-conditioned, and eat a lot of chocolates. Well, I've eaten a lot of chocolates, and I've gone to a lot of libraries, but as you know, retirement doesn't always happen. And I don't know how I ever had time to serve there because time is gone. Bob and I, because of our church in Guntersville, have been able to make a total. They have, they have a special fund. We have been able to make a total of 28 mission service trips overseas. We couldn't have done it without our church. And the first one I went on was 1999. And Bob and I went to Burma. I knew that's where the Judsons were from, our first missionaries. But I realized that most Baptists didn't even realize that's how we became a denomination to support Ann and Adoniram Judson. So while we were there, I wanted to find their footsteps. Did I find their footsteps? It was a wonderful, it was a life-changing experience. I came back to the States and said to our two children, uh, somebody needs to write a story a new story about the Judsons. That's why we organized as, as a denomination. And I, I named a Baptist historian, and our children both said, Mother, you write it. I said, I talk. I don't write. Well, guess what happened? I spent six years and 100,000 miles of travel. And in 2005, bless God and take courage, the history and legacy of Anne and Adoniram Judson was born. They are the reason we are a mission denomination. And their example is so incredible. Their faith, their courage. He spent nearly two years in a Burmese prison during a war because he was called a spy. She kept him alive. She saved him from execution three times. Saved him for the work God had ahead for him to do. The first Bible ever translated into the language of those people. There was not a believer in Burma when they got there. And now, 
there are over four million believers in Burma. What God did in that place, the miracle of his life, and how they have inspired Baptists. And when Adonai's judgment was close to death, somebody asked him, Dr. Judson, what do you see as the future of missions? And he said, they are as bright as the promises of God. And they still are. Well, after that book, the head of National WMU asked me to write a history of WMU for our 125th anniversary. Well, I learned about a lady when I was doing the research that I had not known before. Her name was Hepzibah Jenkins Townsend. And after I finished the WMU book, I thought, people need to know our history and Hepzibah. So I began to write Hepzibah's story. She was known for her force of character, her quiet dignity, but most of all, her sense of justice. She was amazing. She ended up having 15 children, and she organized the first little missionary society that became National WMU in 1888. So the next time you ladies feel really tired and you don't have time to do something, think of Hepzibah with 15 children, and she had time to organize a missionary society. It revolutionized missions in our denomination. And then I wanted to tell Ann Judson's story. The, the book of the Judsons was about all 200 years of history, but Ann's story was so fascinating. So I wrote it as historical uh, facts, but in a narrative way, a story way. And the more I wrote about her, the more I admired her. And I, I knew what she had done. I had read all about it, but then I'd come to tears again to think of the life that she lived and the service she gave. She had 14 years on the field before she died of spinal meningitis, and she changed an entire nation. And then North Carolina Baptist women asked that I write the story of Fanny Heck, who became our first national president. Uh, she became president when she was 29 years old. Can you remember what you were doing at 29? She was amazing. She was president three different times for a total of 15 years. She's the reason we have GAs and RAs. She's the reason we have a mission magazine. We're still doing things because of the creativity of Fanny Heck. And then we needed the story of Alabama's own sweetheart, Kathleen Mallory. She was our national director for longer than anybody, 36 years. And if there's one recording of her voice. She's from Selma, and I love that recording. She says, our dear heavenly father, in the years and years to come. <laughs> I've done a monologue of her, but I would never do it in Selma because I don't speak properly when I go to Selma. She was a remarkable woman. Tiny little, here soon turn white, little lady. She and Fanny worked together those first years, and she is the reason that the Home Mission Board, as we called it then, and the Foreign Mission Board did not have to declare bankruptcy, literally, because WMU bailed them out. And in 1932, right in the heart of the Depression, 70% 70, 70 
of all the money that went to foreign missions came from WMU. And that's the reason missionaries could stay on the field. My mother was appointed in 1929. My mom and dad met in China and married there. You'll have to read their story in Six Yellow Balloons. But she was appointed to China, but the foreign mission board said, we're sorry, we can't afford to send you now. You'll have to wait until after the Depression. And Kathleen Mallory and the, foreign, and the WMU said, go on, we'll pay your salary. And when my mother went to China that first time, her complete salary was paid by WMU. I love WMU. What it has been through the years, and it's the backbone of missions in a church. Well, there was another book that came. In fact, this is the most recent book. I'm going to skip back to COVID in a minute. The most recent book is Lottie Moon and the Silent Bell. Now, you have to get the story to see why the bell is silent. And I think you'll learn some things in this book that you didn't know about Lottie. Um, this book started off as a book for older GAs, RAs, actines, and it is that. But it morphed into a book for adults. 90% of those who get the story get it for themselves. And I've had, I don't even know how many adults have said, we got the story, we read it, now we're going to pass it to our grandchildren. They pass it on. You can learn that there were two Lottie Moons. Seriously, there were two Lottie Moons at the same time. And find out why it's called a silent bell. You'll learn some things in there about Lottie by herself and her loneliness out in the country, out in the interior. She and a sleeping roll going from village to village and what God did through that little woman. Incredible. But before I wrote Lottie, came COVID. I don't know of anybody whose life was not changed by COVID. It has affected everyone. A lot of people have lost loved ones. Some people have long COVID. Schools were closed. Children have suffered because of that. During COVID, I thought, well, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. And my children said, Mama, we have been trying for 25 years, literally, they had 25 years to get you to write our family mission history. And I, you've always told us, you don't have time. But now we've got COVID. So you have time. Literally, it took me a month to sort through thousands of letters and even more thousands of pictures. I said, I don't have enough to write a, a whole book. Just try. So I began the story of my Aunt Grace going to China, my mother going to China, my dad going to China. And by chapter 14, I was born. And by the last chapter of the book, our son was born. And that was 62 years ago. So I hadn't gotten to the story. So I had to write two books. But COVID lasted a long time, didn't it? And in that book from 1962 up until the present, I told the story of God at work through missions. Um, my experience in China is the most vivid, vivid period of memory in all my life, both the early years and the later years. 
And the reason I had a record, I, I'm sorry, and Jennifer, this is really bad. Uh, I didn't keep a journal after six months, but I did have a journal because I wrote mom and dad. I wrote Bob's parents. Now, you young ones don't know what it was like when you had typewriters and, and carbon paper. We didn't have computers back then. And I would use these aerograms, and I would make four copies by carbon. And if you were the lucky one, you got the original one, and not the fifth one. And then on the fly leaf of the aerogram, I would write a personal message to each part of the family. And in there, my, our two children, Alice and Jody, are the only grandchildren, my parents. My brother never married. So all the little smart and clever things they did, I would write home. Until I would write, I don't know how, but I wrote two or three times a week. And all the details. People say, how do you remember? That's how I remember what Alice said in 1962 and what Jody did in 1965 uh, because of the record I had. And writing those books was such an eye-opener to me. It was hard. It's a lot harder to write about yourself than to write about somebody else because you know yourself too well. I loved writing about my parents. And I had all their letters. I had a few of their love letters. And I had the letters that Mama had written home to her parents. They married. Mama was teaching at the University of Shanghai. Dad was a mission evangelist up in the city of Yangzhou. And each had gone to China single. And God worked it out. And the story of their romance is in there. Actually, the story of Bob's and mine is in there, too. But there are two stories. There's Bob's story and the true story. And the true story is the one I put in the book. Those are both in the first book, See Yellow Balloons. But as I was opening those letters, I came to one August of 1933. Mom and Dad had married on June the 29th. And, of course, her mother could not come to the wedding. You didn't travel like that back then. And that my mother had three sisters and a brother. Mother was the only girl that married. So grandmama never got to go to a daughter's wedding. But mama had sent her a little spray of dried orange blossoms from her bridal bouquet. I had never seen that letter. And I opened it and looked at that, and I just wept. That was the sacrifice of missionaries then, missing those special moments. You don't have them. But God more than compensates with all the blessings that he gives. Well, during that first time in China, my memories are very faint. We came back to the States first time when I was about three. Went back when I was eight, and my, the vivid memories, eight to 11, before the communists drove us out in 1949. Mom and Dad, that after they married, had done evangelism training with young men and general evangelism in Yangzhou. Mother would teach them English, and Daddy would teach them theology and take them out in the villages and countryside and preach and practice preaching. I mean, young, 17, 18, 19-year-olds. And then came World War II. They lived under occupation for about two years. And then the embassy said, if you have children, you better get out of China while you can. 
So mom and dad left, not knowing what was going to happen with these dear young men. And then when we went back in 1946, one of those young men, Wuji Shaw, was pastor, was the senior pastor of the largest church in Yangzhou. And Paul Zhang was pastor of the largest church in Zhenjiang, right across the river, river where we live this time. That's where I met the beggar. So their children, uh, Pastor Zhang's children, were my closest friends. And Pastor Zhang and Pastor Wu and others that they had taught worked with them as fellow evangelists this time. I love those people. They were part of our family. And then we had to leave because of the communists. We got out right ahead. They'd already taken North China when we left. And for many years, we lost all contact because of communism, all contact with our dear friends there. And meanwhile, Bob and I, of course, had been appointed, and we, we were in Taiwan, and uh, Blue Enamel Cup tells the story of our adventures in uh, Taiwan. And then, after 10 years, we went back this time to Hong Kong, to serve in Hong Kong. And about that time, we got there in 1981, and the door to China was cracking just a tiny little bit. And I thought, oh, if we could just go into China and visit and see if any of them are living and what's going on there. This is as close as you could get into China at that time. But they began allowing a few foreign visitors to go in. I taught at Hong Kong Baptist University. Bob did student work and uh, organized and planted a church while we were in Hong Kong. And then came an opportunity to go into China. Bob couldn't get away from his ministry. had a single uh, a missionary lady that went with me, and she also spoke some Mandarin. And we went to Peking, Beijing, the capital. And then we had to spend two days there getting permission to go to Zhenjiang, where my childhood home was. So we took a train, took 24 hours by train. You could see all of China on the way. Oh, I was just drinking it all in. After 37 years, I was back. And we got to Zhenjiang uh, that afternoon, Saturday afternoon. I thought, maybe there will be an open church and we can go on Sunday morning. Saturday afternoon, we put on our tennis shoes and went to the nearest bus stop. Now, the buses in China were the old Russian buses where you accordion in the middle and two cars held together. And you didn't worry about getting a seat. You just hoped you could squeeze in. We squeezed in, and they weren't used to seeing foreigners there. And they began to talk about us. They had no idea. I understood them. And they look at those women, how strange their skin looks. It is so pale. And one of them said, well, I want you to look, if you can look down there at her shoes. This is April, and she's got open-toed shoes on? And another one said, well, I want you to see how her hair grows up and back, instead of down like ordinary hair. Well, when she said that, I couldn't resist. And I looked at her, and I smiled and nodded, and she flamed up red. She said, oh, she understands. I said, never mind, never mind. Mel Guanxi, I'm coming home. I used to live here. They were so excited. We were like a sideshow. And they told us where to get off the bus. I didn't know if our mission houses were still there. But she said, get off the bus right here. You turn up to the left, and you'll see them. We got off the bus, turned around, and there on the side of the mountain, were our two 
Baptist houses. And I stood in the middle of the road and cried. God had let me come home. We had a crowd around us, following us everywhere we went. I went up to where the gate had been. It was hanging open now, up the cobblestones. And I stood again on the steps where the beggar had knelt. And you know how my heart felt. Lord, you've let me come home. I asked about an open church. No open church. I said, what about across the Yangtze River in Yangzhou? Open church? No open church. Well, we went the next day, the next morning. We hired a car, went on a ferry across the, the river, the Yangtze River. And for some reason, I had taken along two pictures that Mom and Dad had from the 1930s. And I thought, if, if somebody can recognize these places, I can tell Mom and Dad about. My mom was about 10 months away from her death at that time. So this was her trip home to China. Well, we went to a friendship store where they sell to foreigners, if there are any around, and the young clerk looked and said, I know that building. It's on the road where we are. And she left work and came with us. It was 11 o'clock on the Sunday morning. And we got to the church. I said, is it a church now? She said, no, it's a factory. But as we drew up to the church, I looked at a sign. It said, Yangzhou Jidu Jiao. Yangzhou's Protestant church and she said I didn't know that the door was closed so she knocked on the door and we went in and there was a cluster of little ladies standing there all of them had white hair back in a bun and they had little black pantsuits on and one had a wire basket in her on her arm with a bible in it. I said is this a church you've had a service yeah. sure 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 le, 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 le. This is the way you say come in Chinese. Le, 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 le. And huanying means welcome. So I thought, these are old ladies. They'll know somebody in these pictures. So I pulled out the pictures. And I said, do you ladies know anybody? This is all in, in Chinese. Do you ladies know anybody in these pictures? They got so excited. And one of them looked down at the front of the auditorium. And he said, moksa, moksa. She said, moksa, moksa, la, la, la. And they called the pastor to come back there. Very dignified gentleman with salt and pepper hair, black robe and hearing aid. Came back and they handed the pictures to him and he sat down and he looked at the pictures and he looked up at me and he said, Shunidama, are these yours? And I said, yes. He said, Sonarlai, where did they come from? I said, well, really, they're my mothers and fathers. I used to live here when I was a little girl. He said, Nibaba Shingshama, what's your father's name? I said, Xingha, named Hall. Just like that, he switched to beautiful English. He said, your father is Harold Hall. Your mother is Alice Wells Hall. My beloved co-workers. This was Pastor Wuji Shaw. He had not seen a missionary in 37 years. He said, so many times when you were a little girl, I used to eat in your home. Would you give your dad a message for me? I'd love for him to come back and hold another revival service. When I left, we crying together. I said, Pastor Wu, I want you to know something. Not one day has passed since mom and dad left that they have not thought about you and loved you and prayed for you. And we prayed together. And by God's grace, I have been able to take every one of our family members back to China to meet 
Pastor Wu. What an adventure. What a legacy we Baptists have. And in 2010, I was privileged, Bob and I were privileged, to take our whole family back to China. Now all the grandchildren would have met our family there. And on the Saturday, we went to our house, and I told our grandchildren again the story of the leper. And we stood on the very spot. The next morning, I knew there was a church this time. It was August, 95 degrees, no air con, and the people were crowded. There must have been six or 700 in the auditorium, people standing around outside. And the first person we met when we got there was the daughter, granddaughter of Pastor Wu holding his great-grandson. Pastor Wu had died in 1994, but he had died in 2004 when he was 94 years old. But this little legacy of his was right there. And I didn't know that morning. There were three pastors in the church. There was a woman and two men. And at the end of the service, uh, Pastor Drew asked that I come and introduce our family to the Yang Zhou family, the church family. I had no idea she planned this. But I got the grandchildren and lined them up on the stage to introduce them. And I, I told the congregation. Of course, the grandchildren didn't understand anything that was going on, but they had to trust me that I was saying the right thing. So the, I, I told the people there about mom and dad, and I said, I want you to know when I was a little girl, I would, when my, I would wake up early in the morning, I would always hear mom and dad praying. And every day, every day until the day they went to glory, they prayed for you. And those people were seemed so moved. As soon as the service was over, and uh, I guess, I don't know, elderly, probably my age, or maybe a little older than I, came down the aisle, and she was weeping, and she grabbed my hand and wouldn't let it go. I finally understood what she was saying. She said, I was, I was born the year the communist took China. And I've never met a missionary but my mother and father were led to Christ by missionaries who sacrificed and left their homes and their families and came to tell us that we could be part of God's family. And I've never met one before. And I just want to tell you, thank you. That's what we're talking about, legacy. This was mom and dad's legacy. Thank you that they came. Several years ago, I was dressed up as Lottie Moon, and I was talking to a bunch of GAs and RAs. And they were good kids. I, there were about 75 of them in the room, and they were pretty good. And at the end of it, a beautiful little girl, about seven, eight years old, had little r bright red glasses on, beautiful face, came up and plucked my sleeve, and she said, Miss Moon? I said, yeah. Miss Moon, do you think I could be a missionary too? I said, I'm, I'm sure you can. You talk to God about it, and he will show you. Yes, we can be missionaries. You're praying, you're giving. 
you're going. Let's pray a moment. Father, for your love and presence, that we know the story, we thank you. Help us pass it on. Bless these, your people, in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Aren't you glad you were here this morning? Thank you, Mrs. Hunt. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful legacy. It's a long, long time ago before she Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you.